Welcome to Music Thursday Night. This is Scott Floman, again with my brother Keith Floman and our buddy Larry Waldman. We're here to continue our tournament to determine the greatest rock album of all time. Uh, we're about to hit the second round of the 90s, and right off the bat, we have a great matchup. Uh, this is going to be a painful matchup for me because these are two of my all-time favorite albums, and one of them is going to be sent packing. We have the number one seed Radiohead with OK Computer versus the number nine seed The Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Karma Police from OK Computer. And again, it's going against the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. matchup uh two of my all-time favorite albums uh i'm gonna not say that much about okay computer this time around uh i will say it's going to win this matchup and unanimously but not without some pain uh not only myself but my brother as well i know for sure and i believe larry loves this album too uh, although he's more of a siamese dream guy um an interesting thing about OK Computer is, you know, it, it's themes of alienation, isolation, and, and overall distrust of technology. It, it seems more prophetic than ever, uh, given the current state of the world ruled by big tech. I mean, it, it's very timely today, even even all these years later. And uh, beyond the lyrics, uh, I just love the overall sound of the album. Uh, production by Nigel Godrich, right? That's how it's pronounced. Uh, it's phenomenal. You know, I'm going to mostly focus on Melancholy in this matchup, uh, but he is probably the prettiest song on OK Computer, and the, the video for this song was very memorable as well. <laughs>
song there. Uh, but on to Melancholy. Uh, and sound-wise, Melancholy relies less on the soft-to-loud dynamics that had defined Siamese Dream, and, and it's also a more diverse album. Uh, Darcy and James Eha also play a much bigger role than on Siamese Dream, where Billy Corgan played all, or at least most of the guitar parts. I'm not sure he played all of them, but, but the vast majority of them for sure. Uh, so this album is, is more of a true band effort, which is another reason why it's the signature Smashing Pumpkins album to me. Um, I mentioned the singles and how great they are in round one, but you know, like The Wall, an album Melancholy has been compared to, and which was the album that Corgan aspired to when making it. Melancholy is even more about it. its many great album tracks to me. Um, and looking at, at the track listing, some other personal favorites are Here Is No Why, with its soaring guitar solo, Galapagos, especially the part with the epic vocal and dramatic orchestrations, the nine-minute Porcelain of the Vast Oceans, which is prog rock worthy of some of the giants mentioned in previous episodes, like Yes and Rush. There's Bodies with its memorable Love is Suicide chorus, In the Arms of Sleep, another incredibly atmospheric and moving ballad, there's huge angry rockers like F.U. and Ode to No One and X.Y.U. And they're also proggy through the eyes of Ruby, which we're going to play now. Yeah, and that's one of many great album tracks on Melancholy. Uh, also, Chamberlain's drumming on this album and, and Siamese Dream 2, for that matter, is ridiculously good. Uh, it's one of those albums, like a Tool album or a Rush album, uh, let's say Lateralists and A Farewell to Kings, uh, that you can listen to just for how amazing the drumming is. Uh, Melancholy. I'll add, I'll, I'll add that if Corrigan was hanging out with the three of us, you wouldn't be able to tell which one of us was the rock star. <laughs> that is true. Good points for that, or or de, or demerits for that. <laughs> Melancholy. It, it's one of my all-time favorite albums, and and I know my brother would say the same thing. It's you know like in my top ten of all time. You know maybe even top five. Uh, you know, but so is okay. Computer. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna add just to, to jump in. I'm, I'm I'm jumping out of turn, but I I'll I'll add that. Melancholy could win the eighties. Like that's where I that that's where I that's why it's sort of sad to have it leave this early in the tournament because that's sort of 
Yeah, it should at least be an elite eight or something like that, right? Anyway, seems... yep, continue, continue. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> it, it pays me to uh, for it to leave, but uh, you know, OK Computer is going to move on here, and and I'll have more to say about it uh, in the next round. So, on to you guys. Yeah, this this is this is a tough one. I feel like the matchups <clears throat> in the '90s are not evenly dispersed like like to me this is what was it this is an eight seed nine nine yeah that's 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 i mean ridiculous like i i I would have thought it would have been at least a three or four seed and possibly a two seed i get yeah you've got okay computer you've got never mind but no worse than a three or four seed so i feel like it's going out too soon um i i listened to the entire double album again over the weekend to to prep for this again and it's not that I forgot how awesome it was, but it was just, it was great to hear how diverse it is and how there's so much, like you mentioned, Scott, there are times when it's just a hard rock album. There's times when it's an alternative album. There's times when it's a prog album. There's times when it's a little bit softer and almost like an indie album as well, right? And and when you think about all of that in a double, this doesn't feel like an overstuffed double album, like some of the ones that we've talked about before. And I I know we're going to date ourselves here, but I distinctly remember the, the two different discs, one pink, one blue for the two different moods. <laughs> and and the, 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 this is another great album cover, but also yeah. great artwork on the CDs themselves, on the pressings of the CDs themselves. Like it was the whole package. And I think I mentioned this in the, the first round. This is one where I remember my roommate coming home on a Friday. He'd stopped at Tower Records uh, at Columbus, uh, you know, Columbus Ave picked it up, put it home. And I don't think we'd left like our CD player for like the next month. I mean, that's all we listen to nonstop before going out in the morning all the time. It's just unfortunate. It's going against OK Computer, which is an all-time album. This is an all-time album too, but you know, just like in the 60s, when you get two all-time albums going up against each other. It's, it's yeah. Tough. It's tough. And, and Keith and I were actually living together when, when this came out in 95 and same thing, man, we, we listened to it like nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only downside to it, if like, I, I'm sure you guys had the same problem. The only downside is that this was in the days of CDs and we didn't have a, like one of those like fancy, you know, five disc CD players or whatever is that, you know, first disc ended, you had to like get up, take <laughs> it out, put it back in the jewel case, put the next one in. But other than that, it literally didn't leave our CD player. And also tonight, tonight, one of the great music videos as well. Well, that's sure. the thing too, is that, I mean, even if you look at like radio hits, Granted, the 90s were a different time for, for radio hits. This, this I'm sure, had m- many more hits than OK Computer did. And it's also, I mean, I remember listening to Gish and, you know, in college, like it was, you know, one of like the, one sta- the albums we would play on the college radio show that I had, and then Siamese Dream in law school. But even then, the Pumpkins were, were like, you know, an indie band. They were like, not, not everyone knew who they were. Like, if you played it, people were like, who is this? Or is this, like, I think you'd mentioned, like this, they were the biggest band in the world at this time when this came out. It, it was just amazing to see them go from that, like, you know, go from playing clubs to the garden in, in the span of like a year or two. Yeah, and this album, it was obvious that's what they were shooting for, too. There was, oh, yeah, there this was, was yeah. this big shooting for the stars album. Yeah. Yeah, they they emer- like this album was their emergence as the giant. It was like their Joshua Tree album, right? Where they yeah. they were on the verge of being this, you know, what they 
what they became what they became from from this album just in terms of largeness is right because Simon's Dream was a, a spectacular a spectacular album in its in itself and warranted them being bigger but you know this was the album that sort of had bigger sort of aspirations and bigger song you know more commercial so- like there's a there's a mix of commercial and like completely not like non-commercial songs that would almost be off-putting um, to a, you know somebody who, who discovers them through Tonight Tonight or 1979, right? And then they listen to X Y U or um, you know Tales of a Scorched Earth, and you know you get a different. Th- there's just so much diversity in the album. I would I would say that. Again, they're right. It's it's a double album where there are two distinct um, two distinct albums. The first album, album one, would make the tournament, right? Like it's album one is good enough to make the tournament as a, as an individual disc, and, and yet album two is pro, you know is on the would be on the cusp of being good enough, and you put them together, and you just it's just again it's another album that's bigger than than the sum of its parts, just because it just works together um the ending is like the ending of the second disc is like perfect because it's like it it brings you from like the 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 heart like a heaviness of um what's x x y u x y u is like the the last heavy song on the album and then you've got like four or five songs and sort of like leading you, like literally leading you to your to sleep, right? And the last song is uh, "Farewell and Goodbye, Good Night," and by the time you get there, it's like "Farewell, Yep, I'm like, I'm farewell and good night." Um, and that's sort of why melancholy is 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 somewhat consuming because there's so much to it, right? There's so like so many highs, so many great songs. The album tracks i mean bodies is is amazing (laughs) like his main song you played you played through the eyes of ruby which is you know just a reg it's an album track buried on the second cd right porcelain is an album track uh um muzzle galapagos i mean there is just so many there's so many hits like so many hits and so few misses and out of 28 songs it's it's hard to not have them go through because it's a great it's a great album it played a big part of it like it was a consuming album for, like it was a for me it was a it was a more consuming album than you know, okay computer it came for I, I like to think that they almost influenced each other right in sort of you know, okay, this came before OK Computer and Door came before Kid A. Like there's some, you can almost see some continuity like from album from from album to album. Um, and in the end, like OK is just that much more transcendent of an album. Like, it's just a little bit more. More perfect. Um, more perfect, more groundbreaking, more perfect, more um more on an island like more on an island less to detract like less to detract from it it's you know it, they and maybe it's radiohead also you know conti- like 
Radiohead continued to build upon what Radiohead was, uh, you know, from the Benz to OK Computer to right that they they continued. Whereas, um, and maybe Adore is a little underrated, but you know, Pumpkin sort of fizzled I think uh, uh, a lot more, and and that's I think that's part of you know OK Computer's legacy too. Is that it's a it's a part of the legacy of like the best by far the best band and it's gener- like of generations um and so you know okay okay i am okay with okay moving on as much <laughs> as much as melancholy belongs you know in you know on a short list um you know it's uh it's okay it's okay to lose right it's it's okay to lose to the bulls and michael right like <laughs> there's yeah. certain things that that you can accept sort of losing two and still keep your head up high <laughs> and hey they took them to six or seven games so it was uh they took the, it to uh, six or seven games. and again they and they sort of you know the pumpkins sort of emerged in 95 as the grunge bands were either dying or you know or or putting themselves out to you know sort of stepping out of the out of the limelight and it was a perfect a perfect storm for them to sort of you know, yeah. be the ones to carry the mantle. I do want to add a couple things. Uh, there was a, to show how prolific and great Corgan was during this era. The Aeroplane Flies High is a box set of D sides from this album that's actually very good. Like in addition to this double album, there's this box set of B sides with even more songs that's actually worth getting. <laughs> and I, I just want to riff on. Farewell and good night. I want to say a little bit more about it because I, I didn't mention it. And Keith, I, I'm glad you did. Uh, you, you know, some might consider it a, an insubstantial, maybe even a fillerish track, right? Uh, but you know, it's one of my favorite Pumpkin songs. And like you said, it makes for a perfect uh, album closer. Uh, you know, it's basically a lullaby. And Corgan, Darcy, Darcy, I'm sorry, and E.L. all take turns singing lead, right? Which I don't think they do on any other song. So uh, to me, the song just has a, an innocence about it that I find really touching. Uh, soon afterwards, the touring keyboard player would overdose and die. Uh, Jimmy Chamberlain, his drug buddy, would get kicked out of the band for the next album, Adore, and and think would never really be the same. So, so to me, this song is almost like a goodbye to the golden era. The last time things were still 100% pure and good, and as such, it, it hits a nerve in me. Uh, you know, so this seemingly insubstantial finale becomes a total classic in, in my mind. And, and to me, that's the beauty of music, how your own perception of a song can totally color how you feel about it, regardless if there's even any truth to it. Uh, it's your own personal perception, and that's what matters. Uh, anyway. Take me, down, take, me, take me Down could be an album close. I mean, it's, it's a closer to the first CD, yeah. and that's also a great Similar vibe. You know, cl- yeah. And similar use of, you know, the rest of the band. I'm actually getting emotional talking about this song. That's, you know, anyway, uh, thanks for indulging me. <laughs> On to the next matchup. We're going uh, to take, take, take a break. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, the next one is another good matchup that we don't know who's going to win because Keith is going to tell us. Uh, <laughs> we're going to put him on the spot because. Vince is killing me. I know, right? We have number four, My Bloody Valentine with Loveless versus Pearl Jam, number five, 10. 
That was When You Sleep, my personal favorite from Loveless. And once again, they're going up against Pearl Jam. Gotta be one of the best guitar solos in the 90s. Uh, this is a tough matchup for me. Uh, we spoke at length about these albums in round one, about how 10 is filled with great songs, how it's the most anthemic Pearl Jam album with its own unique sound, and how Eddie Vedder delivers one of my favorite vocal performances on the album. Here's an example. Loveless is simply a one-of-a-kind ex experience, uh, a unique album that's less about individual songs and about its hypnotic soundscapes. <laughs>
I can let that go a little longer. Maybe no, just just gonna say, props, a bit. props to Larry. I'm always telling him to stop the tunes, and he always lets them go. And, and after he's done, um, I always end up agreeing with with his choice. <laughs> so well done. Um, back to these albums. Uh, you know, both of these albums were, were hugely influential on 90s music. Uh, the difference is Pearl Jam's followers were the unhip likes of post-grunchsters like Creed and Silverchair. <laughs> well, my, my, my buddy Valentine influenced far cooler bands, right? Like the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Sugar, Yola Tango, and, and of course all the other shoegazer bands like uh, that we mentioned in round one, like Slow Dive and Catherine Wheel. So uh, if what the album subsequently influenced matters, uh, my buddy Valentine should be the clear winner here. If the album should be judged solely on its own merits, with influence being more a tiebreaker than a determining factor, then I think there's a case to be made for 10. Uh, and after all, right, 10 was by far the bigger album. My Bloody Valentine is more of a cult band, whereas Pearl Jam was briefly the biggest band in the world. Uh, I think a case can be made both ways. Uh, but ultimately, Pearl Jam, the band, and 10, the album, mean more to me. So I'm going to vote for, for 10 here. And uh, these guys will ultimately decide the winner. I know Larry is going for My Bloody Valentine. And again, Keith, the suspense is killing us, man. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, as much as I love both albums, My Bloody Valentine is like my favorite album that I didn't know was my favorite album until much later after it came out. Like, I definitely, I don't remember the first time I heard this album, but as soon as I did, I'm like, this is, this is one of the best albums I've ever heard because I'd never heard anything like it before. I do have a very personal story about this album too, but I can't tell it unless I know how Keith is going to vote. Because if, it, if, if My Bloody Valentine's going ahead, I'm going to save it for the next round. If it's not going ahead, then I'll, I'll, I'll tell well, it. I'll tell you what, you could resume that story after Keith goes. If, yeah, if exactly. Warranted. Exactly. So I think we, we, got, we, got to, we got to switch over to Keith. And then, I mean, I will say... Pearl Jam, this, this album is a phenomenal album. It was definitely a, a part of the soundtrack for early 90s for me when it came out, as was their next couple of albums. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know Scott and I have debated this a little bit too. I do feel like Pearl Jam kind of morphed into a different band than I initially thought they were after their first several albums. Um, and, and not that it was better or worse, just different than I expected. And yeah, My Bloody Valentine, I mean, there's a long, long time before between albums for them. And from an influence standpoint, I mean, I even hear them in Radiohead in terms of like sonic landscapes and how they go. And, and definitely all of the bands that Scott mentioned, you know, when you're, when you're throwing Creed and Silverchair out there, it, it, it's definitely not helping your case, dude. Not, I'd probably... Not. I'd probably include arcade fire even for my bloody valentine yes yeah, in terms sure. of like the sound, you know, like the wall of sound that that they make and yeah create and silver chair don't make 10 any less great i guess is my point okay fair enough it doesn't make it any less great but i'm just saying like it's not not a good way to bolster your maybe argument. i shouldn't have mentioned it yeah you shouldn't have mentioned it so. <laughs> all right so we're going to turn it over to keith now for the for the deciding vote and it's it's a decide and, and i you know, we're still thinking about it because it is such a close, it is such a close matchup, right? They, they both came, uh, Loveless came out when, 91? They both came out in 91? 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a point. If if I may riff on 1991, one of the greatest <laughs> yeah, years sure. in, in music history. <laughs> oh right? my and god, then, uh, it's a crazy year, crazy year. You had uh, let's see. In addition to these two, you had Nevermind. You had the Black album by Metallica. The two Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion albums. You had Out of Time by REM. You had Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden. You had uh, Spiderland, right, by Slink. For those more into alternatives, so you know that's a big album. You had other albums, so like by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Primal Scream. Um, I did mention Octone Baby, right? I mean, so just you did not mention Octone Baby, but you I should not. I should have absolutely. So to me, one of one of the greatest years in rock history. If, we, if maybe at one point we'll, we'll do a, a best years in rock podcast, and I think 1991. I'm not sure it'll win. Uh, there are a couple other years I have in mind, but it'll it'll be in the top five, I think. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Scott, you also have um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, right? I in mentioned 91? the Chili Peppers, but I didn't mention the album. But yeah, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Um, Before I, you'll said yeah. low end theory too. Different, different genre, but yeah, and we, we we span beyond rack. You had massive attack with blue lines, which is line. Line. yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's that's a pretty it's a pretty sick year, ninety one. We should definitely do a a best year. Let's finish this one first. It's twenty. All right, fine. <laughs> while we're on, while we while um, I remember the Chili Peppers, um, the they went on tour. I think in ninety two with. Nirvana and the Pumpkins. And I think the Pumpkins dropped out of the tour at some point and Pearl Jam joined them. So you had you had Red Hot Chili Peppers as the headline with Nirvana and either Pearl Jam or the Smashing Pumpkins supporting them on the tour. So it, it gives you a little context in terms of, you know, like, not only you know what the scene was back then, but also you know the Chili Peppers were pretty big. Uh, yeah, were pretty big, but um, they probably didn't feel so good going on after. At the end, at yeah, the they end, were probably I'm like, imagine, "Get these I'm guys, imagining. get these guys exactly. off the tour. They're too good." <laughs> exactly. All right, so what's exactly. so what's the verdict? Look, Loveless is is it's a soundscape, right? It's it's this album that. Um, is just like a cacophony of sound of sounds and it's like a Picasso painting, right? Like it doesn't mean it like you don't know it it distorts everything so that you don't know exactly <laughs> you can't place your finger exactly on um on what it is, but but at the same time it's it's something that's when it's you know it, it's taken apart but it's still great like it's a it's great when you're, you're listening to it and and it has great songs and um and it, it it was it was revolutionary in a way because um and maybe it, you know we we touched upon the stone roses before and you know this was my bloody valentine's second album so it wasn't the necessarily the birth of something but it was the um it was it just it's similar to how Nirvana wasn't the birth of something, but it was, it was the thing that that sort of inspired became the the launching point for lots that came that came after it. And 
know, again, the songs are there, you know, only from the, from the beginning, like from the first note, again, you know, that it's similar, you know, we talked about it with, um, with disintegration where, you know, the first song sort of introduces the album and then everything that comes after it is, um, you know, is relatable to, you know, you get it from, from only shallow. And, and that's what, this the listening experiences of, of loveless it's like this continuity of you know um just this dreamlike transitional uh you know world that they're that they're creating um i i think i, I think i made my decision when i heard release me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, just because deep deep album tracks right it's, an, it's an album it's an album track and and right, I, right, you know, I, was, I was i was i was leaning i was leaning i was actually leaning towards loveless in part just because it's almost it's the more interesting album right it 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 makes the next round a little bit more of an interesting discussion because it's a you know it's not like anything else um in the bracket and and 10 is you know is more derivative right like Kurt Cobain mocked 10 when it came when it came out even even though it, it 10 actually came out before never mind um and Scott will always point to the fact that 10 passed never mind in sales in February of 93 well it was more when versus in utero came out versus was the bigger deal by then clearly pearl jam was well again band. but but by the by that time 10 had already ted also surpassed yeah never but mind didn't really blow up until 92 it was kind of exactly yeah, right right nirvana nirvana not when it came out yeah, yeah. nirvana <laughs> blew up nirvana blew up the scene and pearl jam sort of you know came off of that wave and then song after right then Pearl Jam just had song after song after song that was released as you know hit singles and and then ultimately they they were gigantic right they became gigantic off of um off of the hits from from 10 and you know I I'm critical in some in some ways of 10 and better and you know that the you know um it's a little front heavy of an album um <laughs> and Scott's shaking his head, but and again, the album tracks are great. The uh, the album tracks are are great, um, and they are. Um, it's it's just not the same. Win. Who's winning? I I still don't know. I'm I'm confused. I I, I uh, yeah. thought he was saying ten one. No? I thought so too, but now I feel like he's he's like hedging. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 giving my 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 train of thought on on ten and that. You know, it, it, to me, it's an imperfect, like, it's not as perfect an album as some of the other albums here. But at the end of the day, I think the power of the songs are enough. You know, there's an emotional connection to the, so to the songs. It, while it's imperfect and while it's more derivative, it's less groundbreaking, it's less influential. Like... At, at the end of the day, it's hard to go against. For me, it's hard to go against. Or the power of the tracks and 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 release me is almost a perfect embodiment of you know of of ten. In in that there is more to it than just you know 
black and um, and and wants and and the highs are I think just a little bit higher. Um, and when you sleep is a high to me. When you sleep is the high of um, of loveless, and I, I just think that the overall highs of, of 10 are just a little bit greater overall. So 10 will, 10 will move on. All right, a bit of a surprise. I, I thought he was going to go right, loveless. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised as, as someone who voted for 10. But now, Larry, you could tell you my bloody Valentine story. Yeah, so, so my, my bloody Valentine story is a little bit, it's a little poignant, it's a little, it's a little heavy. But I will say, so... Two years ago, two years ago, Uh-oh. almost exactly two years ago, my my father-in-law got got sick and we had to take him to hospice. And Karina, my wife, and her brother Claudio and I, we we spent time. You know, we spent the last like couple of days with him, and I was the last person to spend time with him. And the that last night before he passed the album that I played while I was sitting there waiting and I played it not on my headphones. I played it because it, you know, Loveless is like the, the loudest quiet album or the quietest loud album, right? Like it's not obtrusive. It's not like it doesn't assault you. It's just a soundscape happened to be Loveless. And at the time I was blogging, I guess on Instagram about albums and I, would that in my my spreadsheet that Scott refers to quite quite often, and I, I wrote the I wrote the note about Loveless that night, and it happened to be the last night that I was with him, and he he passed away like later that night after I had left. I think he was waiting until I left to you know to to move on. But I, I he's, waiting to hear, he's waiting to hear the end of the album. He, he yeah, and I feel I feel like he I feel like you know I mean I, this is I'm sure this is me just sort of you know putting it out there, but I I do feel like the soundscape helped helped me deal with that loss because I was extremely close to him and helped me feel at peace that he was going to a better place. And it, it kind of, it felt right to have that album at that time. And, you know, I'm sure if he had listened to it, well, you know, like I, I had probably played it for him at one point, you know, like listening as we were driving around and he was probably like, what is this? This is terrible. But knowing him, I think he would have appreciated that I had a good soundscape going as you know he was he was moving on so it is very personal to me the i i think even before that i i had an affinity for this album but it loveless is is extremely poignant to me just because of the way it sounds and the emotions and memories that it evokes in me so you know i i can see 10 as a phenomenal album but loveless is just more personal for me so i will uh i will uh concede this one but loveless is definitely in my top 10 of all time loveless and for people anyone who hasn't heard loveless again it's it's right the the album is losing in this in this round we've talked about it before right the album's losing this round are still (laughs) worthy you know and again it's matchup based and it's they're worthy of being a part of your collection and and many of you i'm sure have never experienced loveless and it's it is worth trying to to figure it out because it's not necessarily an easy digest right it's not an easy digestion if you're not 
sort of open-minded whole album yeah right if you have to be open-minded to it but if you do let yourself sort of listen to it um it's crazy it's a crazy listen and and it's funny like this is so i i was saving this we were were like as we were getting ready for this podcast i was saying like you know some of the matchups are a little messed up like to me never mind and 10 that's a matchup right same same year same city same like you know genre right and personal there's some personal there's some interpersonal but like it's a perfect matchup like loveless matches up better with like okay computer at least in this round it matches up probably a little bit better with with maybe neutral uh milk it's this is this is a weird matchup which is also why it's more painful because it's you know, it's kind of like when we were in the 60s. There are certain albums where, like, the matchup feels right because it's a similar genre. And then other ones where you're like, yeah, this doesn't even make any sense. Like, hearing apples uh, honestly, though, I like the matchups that don't make sense. I think they're fun. Yeah, I know. Me personally. Yeah. But anyway, you know, thanks for sharing that story. Uh, I mean, I think that shows the, the power of music, how, how amazing it yeah. is. Uh, my Bloody Valentine, one last thing. Of course, you know, I always have to have one last thing to say. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, in addition to, you know, Loveless tends to overshadow everything they've done, right? But I, I just want to stump for Isn't Anything is, is a good debut album. MDV, the belated follow-up, we've spoke about also very good. And they also have a ton of good EP stuff that was uh, collected into, a, I think, a two-CD compilation. So uh, if you like Loveless and, and you want to dig deeper, there, there is some other good stuff out there. But, you know, Loveless is certainly the My Bloody Valentine album and and the album for the the shoegazer genre as a whole. But anyway, uh, Ten is going to be moving on and uh, on to our next matchup. Uh, this is quite the contrast. We have uh, the grunge versus Britpop here, right? Uh, um, you know, American versus British. Uh, Number three, Nirvana, Nevermind versus number six, Oasis. What's the story, Morning Glory? by Nirvana and again they're going up against Oasis what's the story morning glory
talk about epic final tracks. That that's got to be one of the ones we talk about, right? Um, I believe that's Paul Weller from the Jam taking the guitar solo there. Actually, believe it or not, uh, I'd have to double check really? that, but I think so. Yeah, I don't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, um, this is another great battle, right? Maybe the most significant American rock album of the '90s versus the big, biggest British rock album of that era. So, uh, you know, and just contrast Kurt Cobain's uh, "Woe Is Me" attitude. Yeah, versus Oasis, yeah, we're rock stars and we're awesome. Attitude, right? You know, on the Oasis epitomizes to me. Oasis epitomizes the we're only in this to become rock stars. Like they're they're great. Yeah. I think they came up with great stuff, but they legitimately went in this because they're like, we want to fucking be rock stars, and whatever it takes, we'll do whatever whatever it needs to. Be. We want we want the lifestyle. Yeah, but you know what? So did the grunge. Every anyone joins a band wants to be a rock star. The Oasis is just honest about it. I feel like there's some people who join bands because they're like, oh, it's all about the music and I just want to make music that's personal to me, especially now when it's so easy to make music. Or like, yeah, music. yeah. You, know, no, like, that's true. you don't have to go to a studio. You can just make it on your computer. You can sit at home and mope around. Like Oasis is like, no, we want to be the biggest fucking rock stars in the entire world and we don't give a fuck what anyone says. <laughs> like Kurt, wait. I agree. And Kurt was more like, you know, I don't want to be famous, but I yeah. want to put out but I want my music to be, you know, consumed by everybody. <laughs> like, right. I want to make music that everybody loves, but I really, I don't want to be famous. But I don't want to do it. But he was tortured by it, right? He wanted to be, you know, big, but when he was, you know, he was tortured by, you know, the, the indie cred and all and all that stuff. Right, that, yeah. Know, it's a sellout. And, right, like, and, can you and, imagine Liam, Liam thinking to himself, like, you know what? I I'm too like, famous right now. Yeah, I'm too, too famous. famous. Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't like it. I feel like Wonderwall is just getting too much play. I, I feel like I need to go, like, you know, hide. It's like, fuck no. He's <laughs> thinking about how many, how many chicks I'm going to get. Yeah. yeah. Dude, he was super Lawrence. sonic, man. He's a rock and roll star. It's yeah. right there in the songs on the first album. Cue up, cue up Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a really loud Beatles song, right? <laughs> I mean, everyone knows how much Oasis loved and was influenced by the Beatles, but, you know, Cobain and the rest of Nirvana loved the Beatles as well. And uh, so even though their allegiance was to punk rock and other more underground sources, what they delivered was an album filled with catchy sing-along songs that the, the mainstream easily embraced. And, uh, you know, on the surface, Oasis and Nirvana are very different bands, right? But the foundation of both bands was the same. Great songwriting. You know, both albums sold millions and millions of copies and had songs that were all over the radio and MTV and, and both spearheaded major 90s movements, uh, Nirvana with grunge and Oasis with Britpop. 
So these are both great era-defining albums that have phenomenal hits, but they're also their fair share of top-notch album tracks, like this one from Oasis. <laughs> Fucking tops, man, as Liam would say. <laughs> uh, but overall, I just think that, you know, Nevermind is a bit stronger from start to finish. And I also think that their sound is a bit more singular. Uh, from Kurt Sandpaper, rough vocals, Nova Selleck's distinctive bass sound, and, and Grohl's incredibly powerful drumming. Oasis are legends, too, and Morning Glory is a legendary album, but no. Uh, Nevermind is a clear winner for me here. Yeah, this is, I mean, we've said multiple times, when you get to this level, it's, it's hard to dismiss albums or, or, or have them lose, but Nirvana is just more influential. I think it's probably a bit, it, it has better songs. It's a little bit more uh, rough around the edges. Oasis, oh, I mean, let's face it, like, what's the story of Morning Glory? it's a little bit more polished. It's a little bit more produced. You know, it, again, it's, it's a band knowing exactly what they want to do, almost crafting it and pitching it perfectly so they know that they could hit an audience. Whereas I don't think that that's really what Nirvana set out to do when they made Nevermind. They were like, we're, we're going to make an album of music that we like. And, you know, yeah, I, I do think you can tell the influence of some of their predecessors and some of the, uh, some of the bands that they were clearly listening to as they were making this album. But I don't know that they set out to make a classic pop rock album, whereas I feel like Oasis clearly set out to do that. And maybe that just puts Nirvana over the top for me. Both phenomenal albums, both albums where I feel like you can listen to them as an album. You could also just pick a whole bunch of tracks off of them and, and listen to them either way, which is a little different than some of the albums we've talked about where they're like, like again, going back to Loveless, Loveless, even though it has great tracks, at least for us, it's more of a listen. Whereas, you know, you pick three, four tracks off of Nevermind, three, four tracks off of Morning Glory and, and be fine with it. Cause that, those are, they're, they're more song type of albums. But for this one, yeah, this one wasn't super close for me. Nirvana definitely goes ahead. And apparently, so wait, just to make sure I'm doing this right. Who do they go against if they win? They don't go against Pearl Jam in 10, do they? No, they're, they're yeah. separate brackets. Ah, different brackets. Yeah, we'll have to switch it up. Yeah, you may have to switch it up. Yeah. <laughs> Break the rules. Um, I, I almost feel like Britpop doesn't do Oasis service because it almost implies that they're not a rock band, right? Like, 
they're 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 a rock band. They're not that dissimilar to the you know the American bands at the same you know concurrent time. Um, they were just British, right? And they had a different, a slightly different sensibility and a slightly different aspect. You know how they how they saw how they fit into into music. But they were a rock band. They were heavy, like they could be heavy. They were guitar driven. They were, um, they weren't a pop. They weren't a pop band. And and there's similar. There are from that standpoint. There are similar. Like the albums are. These are two relatively similar albums, in, in that they're song based albums. They're um, driven off of sort of. You know, it's not an album that you listen to for cohesiveness necessarily, right? They're song. It's a song-based album, and yeah, and the songs in, in both albums are are great song, right? Song by song, they're they're great, and it starts from the very beginning. Um, Morning Glory is great. Like Hello is a great start to to the album, and um, and it doesn't stop throughout. You know, and it, it ends in freaking. <laughs> one of the great closing songs of all time, Champagne Supernova. But Morning Glory is a great, right? That's a spectacular single from from Morning Glory, and she's electric. And um, some might say, like, Morning Glory is a great album through and through. Um, and Nevermind is just slightly better album through and through. And it's so. It's not to me. It's a, it was a relatively easy choice because you know at the end of the day, Nirvana just occupies a slightly different place. It it came first. It was is more important in the overall scheme of things. It changed it changed music from you know the minute it be, you know became public. Um, Scott may not even know this. Smells Like Teen Spirit came out on our birthday. Wow, wow. did not. And I'm just amazed you were able to come up with a musical fact that Scott did. I've been saving that. I probably blew. I should have saved that one for, <laughs> yeah, for next time. But it came out on our birthday in 91 before the album, before the album was released. Teen Spirit was released as a single um and you know in a lot of ways it it did it, it changed music um like immediate like it almost immediately changed music um you know the the the, the record label was prepared to like issue like a fraction of what they ultimately ultimately sold even again even Though Nirvana was aspiring, you know, from their, um, you know, from Bleach, they were aspiring for bigger. Um, and I, th and again, they were, and, and yeah, like Nirvana they were on a major label. They had a, they had, but they moved to a major, they moved to a major, they moved to a major label because, right, because their label was going on there. And, um, and they clearly were, again, Larry touched upon Nirvana you know, taking influences from, you know, from bands that were at, uh, at the same time, you know, we can't not talk about Doolittle, um, you know, the influence that Doolittle has, I think on, uh, and there are other influences for, for Nevermind, but 
you know, we've talked about Doolittle in, in the 80s, and I think it's pretty clear that there's an influence on from Doolittle to, to Nevermind. Um, but there's a reason why Nevermind became what it became and Doolittle didn't, right? There's just a, a you know, a, a difference in the gravity of Cobain versus um, Francis and and you know the way they were able to convey the emotion, you know, the just the loud, soft emo- the emotion behind the dynamics that that made, you know, never mind, just a different a different beast. And um, so again, you know, it's a it it's a good matchup because I think there are similarities between sort of the two albums as a as a listen, but never mind, just a little bigger, a little more influential and at the end of the day just a little better you know overall and we're also americans and not british <laughs> and maybe that's that's part of it but i do but think I, I do think one one thing that that i hadn't thought about until you mentioned it now is that i do think that oasis does get lumped into like a a, a generic brit pop genre that it may not necessarily deserve but i also think that brit pop itself is sort of just a bad it's like bad marketing, right? For for a <laughs> it really is. yeah, because because Britpop sounds kind of twee, right? Just Where fans that were do, big at the time, do, really. Do, like the, do the Brits do the Brits call it Britpop? Like no, what... <laughs> just like Canadians uh-huh. don't call Canadian bacon Canadian bacon. They call it back bacon, right? Same, food, right? Yeah, they probably just call it pop, <laughs> right? But I feel no, I feel like in, in all sorts of, I feel like Britpop, like it, it's got it's bad marketing. Like it's because Britpop doesn't it doesn't sound cool. It's, it's and it it encompasses kind of just a whole span of years of British Indian alternative rock that came out, but there's so much, there's so many different types of bands that all get lumped into a Brit pop sort of um, genre that I don't know is really right. And I feel like Oasis in particular doesn't really fit at least what I, I think there was, I think there was a lull right in, in British rock music between, you know, the sixties, seventies, to Oasis, right? The, well, between the Stone Roses and then Blur and Oasis. Well, even the Stone Roses, nothing like, alike, but were the two big Britpop bands, right? Right, right. but even from a from a, an Amer- a U.S. centric standpoint, right? Yeah. There, you, you, the Stone Roses almost didn't exist, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you you've got you know the 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 UK bands of yeah, you, you the UK like, rock bands of the '60s and '70s, like yeah. you had the Who, the, the Who and Floyd, and then like wh- what's happening between them and and well, Oasis? Yeah, you know, and Oasis. Yeah, you know, well, you and you had Zeppelin and you had Queen and and you had a lot of prog rock, but then in the '80s, you know, okay. right? But I'm saying that, that associated yeah. with you know there was punk in the late '70s and early '80s, and then it became new wave, which had its own positive or negative associations, whatever. But yeah, then I think you're right. Towards the late 80s, like what were you hearing from, you know, out of, out of Britain until you really got into the Oasis blur pulp type era, right? So. But also good point about Oasis being a rock band, right? I thought the, yeah. the Beatles connection was always overstated. They were much heavier than the Beatles. Yeah. I think they was influenced by grunge and, and those bands as the Beatles. I mean, they, they were certainly influenced by the Beatles, but, but I think it was a little overstated. Anyway, uh, although although be... hearing although hearing that the guitar solo from Champagne Sir Bonobo wasn't even yeah it was racist. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. I'd have to look into that. I, I checked while while one of us was not me, but one of us was talking. Yeah, it is by it was by Paul Weller for sure. Yeah, yeah, a British band though, the Jam. Yeah, between that that period that we talked about, that, that was, was kind of forgotten. Yep. Another big UK band that has very little imprint here in the US. But such a great, but a great band and a great song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, on to our last matchup. We have the number two seed, Neutral Milk Hotel in the Airplane Over the Sea versus the number seven seed, Jeff Buckley, Grace. Two, one, two, three, four. Holland 1945 from In the Aeroplane Over the Sea again. It's going against Jeff Buckley's Grace. She tied you to her kitchen chair. She broke your throne. She cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jeff Buckley, uh, originally written by Leonard Cohen. And, and I'm going to rebut both you guys from the last episode. Uh, Larry, there's there's no way in hell that Leonard Cohen's version of that song is better than Jeff Buckley. <laughs> All right. So so wait. So let me let me rebut your rebuttal. It's not that I think that that Leonard Cohen sings it better. I just feel it's more authentic coming from Leonard Cohen than it is coming from Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley is clearly better. Leonard Cohen's not a great singer. Jeff Buckley's clearly better, but it just feels more painful coming from Leonard Cohen, especially when you listen to the lyrics of the song. It, it's more To me, it's more authentic coming from Leonard Cohen. And this is somebody who, I took a really long time to even appreciate Leonard Cohen. Now, the first time I listened to him, I'm like, why does anyone think this is good? This is awful. But it's not. So that's my rebuttal to your rebuttal. Nah, fair enough. And a, and a fine rebuttal it was. And now uh, on to Keith. Uh, I'm going to stick with my original comment that the early death of Jeff Buckley uh, may be the greatest tragedy in rock history in terms of potential loss. Uh, now, it's maybe, I, now it's maybe. Now it's maybe. Maybe. I think I said maybe in the first place. But uh I hear what you're saying regarding Jimi Hendrix in our last 60s episode. Uh, you know, he was one of a kind, and I have no doubt that he would have continued to give us great music. 
but you can only completely reinvent music once, right? <laughs> so, so I feel like he probably already gave us his best work, whereas with Jeff, I'm not so sure. is uh this is another clear-cut winner for me uh because again this singularity of in the airplane over the sea the sheer uniqueness of it the world unto itself aspect of it and the emotion of its best songs just hits me a bit harder than even the buckley album which also hits me pretty damn hard uh, the first four songs to open airplane are as good an opening sequence to an album that you'll find and later songs like Holla 1945, which we just played before, the eight-minute O Comely and the terrific closer Two-Headed Boy Part Two are some of the most emotionally affecting and musically original songs I've ever heard. Here's an excerpt from the first song on the album. <laughs> stuff uh so as much as i'm a huge fan of jeff buckley and grays for this one album battle the clear winner for me is in the airplane and over the sea and i know you guys agree with me on this one yeah for, yeah for, for me this was in this was the easiest matchup of the uh of the 90s for me it's funny i had forgotten that uh neutral milk was the number two seed but again this was a, a this was an easy one for me i i, I know you guys you know yelled at me about this last one. I, I don't love Grace as much as, as you guys do. I think there's some great songs on it. I feel like it's sequenced weirdly for me. Boo. I know, boo. It doesn't flow as well for me. Whereas in the airplane, it's so unique. It's so different. It's so much more powerful that I, for me, this was a, a super easy one. And this might've been one of the easier ones in the entire tournament so far. It'll get harder, but this was not a close one for me. There's just something too unique about airplane. The lyrics are, are a little more poignant. Although, although I'll be fair to be to be honest, I I don't know that I pay as much attention to the lyrics in in Grace just because I, it just doesn't affect me as much. Um, so it's I could be wrong, and and I'm sure you know I could do the hot take and say like there's nothing like this album, and someone would say oh you haven't heard this or this. This is more unique, but 
you know, from an indie rock perspective in the nineties, this was like nothing you'd ever heard before. So it's just, it's an easy winner for me. And great point on the lyrics on the album are fantastic. So that's a great point. I know Keith uh, totally agrees with neutral going ahead, but I know he's a little bit more conflicted about it. Uh, I, I can't fake confliction here. <laughs> Conflicting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not conflicted at all. I'm not conflicted <laughs> at all because there's this was an easy this was an easy decision for me. I do have like Buckley f- was um, more of a contemporary list. Like I felt I felt Buckley in the '90s in the '90s, whereas Neutral Milk came later, a little later for me. And and, and Buckley's a little of an easier listen, you know, like I can, you can play it in a crowd and not, you know, have people say, turn it off. Yeah. Um, so Buckley's a great, it's a great album. He's a unique talent and you can, you can tell that, you know, from the beginning notes of Mojo Pin and, and it, it's sort of, it is sort of painful because there is so much more to come from, I you know it's almost just, you know I could say the same for for neutral milk because they 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 stop making music. It's like you know there's tragic and that, there's a tragedy there too. But um, but he's at least alive to you know contemplate what he's going to do next. Um, Buckley is just you know it's it is. Um, it's a great album from start to finish. Um, and again, Mojo Pin's great. Grace, Last Goodbye is one of, occupied a place for me. You know, that was just an important song. Um, Hallelujah is probably one of the most copied non-popular like right it's the most copied song like if you can compare how many people have redone it versus how many people have heard it <laughs> the ratio is probably greater than and it's because of buck and it's because of buckley not because of cohen um definitely because, so, of right, also because right. they because they play it in every like maudlin film when someone dies yeah, yeah, no, but yeah. right but but it's because of how beautiful he made that song yeah, right like yeah, no one's playing um, Leonard Cohen to make you know to evoke and it, like that, right? But nobody, but you never like it's a song you'll never hear on the. I've never heard. On, I don't think I've ever heard on the radio. Have you heard Hallelujah? Like you wouldn't hear that other than I don't know. Sort of I, a, I feel like I've heard it so many times, but I, I can't really pinpoint where where, where would exactly you where heard would it in a movie or like in in some you know show where the main characters leave right, it forever or something like that, right? But it's one of those songs that just has a legend to it, right? Beyond like beyond what you know the popular culture has, you know, there's yeah. a, there's sort of um, a legend to it beyond what it is you know how it resonates with the common people the yeah, common people but if you do a google search for greatest cover songs and look at 10 like different results this will be on all of them probably right it will be but again it's a different sort of again it's a non it's not popular music it's it's still sort of alternative or underground or, or whatever you want to call it because it's not 
It's not a pop song. But anyway, back to the matchup itself. And um, like I said at the beginning, it's as much I do love Grace. I, I, um, I do. I, I think Buckley is amazing, and there's so much that he left on the table, and it's a tragedy. And I wish that there was more to come. Um, but I also wish there was more to come from <laughs> from Neutral Milk and Jeff. Say the same thing about uh, Milk, right? Like right? They actually, actually, Buckley had more music come out after Grace than <laughs> than Neutral Milk did. <laughs> Um, which is sort of the it's, it's sort of the the ironic part of um, neutral milk is that you know he just went off the grid. Um, yeah, it's kind of like he's like, after, here's my music. You know what? I'm out. That's it. I'm yeah, done. Right. This, I'm, exactly. This is, this is, Mike, this, is this, it this, yes. the ultimate the ultimate mic drop? Right. Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, and I yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Loveless came out what twenty something years later, or so there's hope. It's been twenty something years. MVP came out like twenty something years after Loveless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is. I would. I would be. I. I'd be more cringe. You know. I. I I don't know that how optimistic I'd be about a follow up to you know to in the airplane, just because you know it's so unique. It's so. transport like it transports you away from reality for you know however for the 15 minutes that the album is and um i almost don't want him to to come out with anything with anything new because it's such a singular piece of art that um it it, it almost was worthy is it, it was almost worth like stepping away from <laughs> I also feel like the reason why there are 20 years between Loveless and MVV is because it probably took Kevin Shields like 20 years to perfect the sound he was looking for in MVV. Whereas with Neutral Milk, Jeff Magnum was probably, you know, Magnum was probably like, I'm done. Like that, that's enough. I've, I've had enough. And he's just out and he's not going to come back. Right. You know, the, I, I, I think that with, with, in the airplane, I don't know what he was going for, but it does sound like he was kind of mercurial anyway. And, and you know, he, he wanted this certain distortion lo-fi sound that, and once he achieved it, like, I, like he said, it's like the ultimate mic drop. He's like, you know what? I'm good. And then that was I mean, it. There is a first album. On yeah, there is. But, but it's not the Garnet. same. Yes, right. He hadn't gotten where he wanted good. to. It's not in the, in the airplane. Yeah, but Gardenhead's Garden Garden great. But but when Scott mentioned the first four songs just now, on on which I had to look them up, because um, it never it never I never thought that it's a you know it's a front heavy album because to me the back end of the album is just as is just yeah. as good as the front end of the album. I mean, Holland. I mean, it, if you go track by track, there's Oklahoma Ghost. Two headed boy. It's an album too, like we said. Holland Ford. Again, there's. I I I would never have thought of, you know, talk calling out their first four songs because there is to me there is no break in the action between yeah track one and track eleven. Right. Well, it's and it's also it's a shorter album. It's only like forty minutes, and it it, this this sounds like faint praise, but it goes quickly. Right. It's like 
you know, it grabs. It blows you. through. It blows through it track by track, snapping. right? It just yeah. Even though it does have its, and we talked about this with some other albums too, it does have that dichotomy between like rocking, crunching songs like Holland and then quieter moments. And it, it, it does have that, but yet it, it flows through really quickly. Yeah, but it's all, it's all, like, like, I'm sorry. They're all crushing. They're all crushing. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're all, they're all, it's all, it's all emotion. Like whether it's fast or slow, yeah, it's still it's all about that emotion. emotion. Yeah, but even the quieter songs, like in the airplane, the title track, you have that yeah. that sword bow guitar, you know, in the background, kind of making these weird noises. It's it's yeah. not like it, that could have been a traditional acoustic ballad, but you weirded it up. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, this is this is one of the ultimate music nerds albums, right? Like, if you don't get it, then you're probably not a music nerd. And if you don't get it at first, keep trying because, like I said, yeah. I think previously it took yeah, you a it's while. Like, it's like the trout. It's like the trout mask of the '90s, right? Like you get, you know, if you, if you don't get it, you got to you got to keep. I, I've never gotten that album, but <laughs> I, I, I haven't given up. Say, I've tried. I've tried countless times, and I still can't figure trout mask. But out. I do like other Captain Beefheart albums, actually. But yeah. but that's again that's another guess, podcast. Yeah, One of the yeah, ten thousand other podcasts. Count me out. Count to. me out of that. <laughs> Yeah, I keep waiting. someday, someday, Trout Mask will make sense to me, but I have yet to hit that moment. You kind of get that it's a unique kind of work of genius, but like I just can't find them. Like I can't find, I can't enjoy it. Basically, oh, I can't. I can't enjoy it exactly. It's yeah. like it's work listening to it. Yeah, exactly. Back to the '90s and this this round, we're gonna sum it up. Uh, we had OK Computer, the number one seed, beating the number nine seed, underseeded though, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Sorry to see it go. It uh, deserved better. That's a tough matchup. Then we had we may second- we may still talk about it. we may still talk about it in the next round. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> number five seed ten in an upset with Pearl Jam with Loveless. I actually had to cross out Loveless because I thought. It was uh, going ahead, but we had a change of heart with, with my bro over here. Um, anyway, uh, number three, Nevermind, uh, beating Oasis, uh, number six. Uh, and then in the airplane over the seed, Neutral Milk Hotel, the number two seed, uh, beat the number seven seed, Jeff Buckley Grace. So uh, that wraps up the second round of the 90s. The next episode, we will hit the Sweet 16. So... Uh, Hope to see you all again soon. Uh, I had a fun talk with you guys as usual. So everyone have a good night. To the next episode. To the next episode. The next episode. That's a totally different podcast.